Hi, everyone. We are back. Uh, I know it's been a couple weeks since you've heard from us, but we're working on a uh, our ability to record this uh, this thing remotely. So thanks for bearing with us. And uh, the sound quality is okay, but uh, we're, we're trying to improve it every time we do this. So enjoy this week's episode. We're talking about oil, um, the federal deficit. Then we talk about Scooby-Doo. And finally, the new Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. All right, so this is episode 26 of Untucked, and this is Megan. And Mike is here. This is Jeff as well, operating remotely from my home office. It's like a closet inside of your closet. It's like a closet inside of my closet, you're right. So I haven't spoken to you guys in a while on the pod. Um, Walter Frederick Morrison, you guys familiar with him at all? No. Nope. He's the man who invented the Frisbee. And when he died, he was cremated and put into a Frisbee. He was put into a Frisbee? Yeah, they made him. They took his ashes and mixed it in with like the plastic and made him a Frisbee. And doing my due diligence on this fun fact, you'd be surprised how many like inventors have done things like that. Like the guy who invented like the Pringle chip container, he wanted his ashes to be stored in a Pringle chip container. You think the guy who invented the coffin was buried in a coffin? He had to be, right? I'm guessing. How about Tupac Shakur? Wanted some of his ashes to be mixed in with a joint and his buddies could smoke them. Which apparently they did. I thought it was interesting. The guy invented the Frisbee. When he died, he was cremated. His ashes were mixed in with the molding mixture of a Frisbee and he was thrown into a Frisbee. It's kind of cool. Did somebody throw the Frisbee? I think they throw it all the time. I think that's <laughs> okay. Here comes Pop-Pop. They throw Pop-Pop around the backyard. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Um, Do we have anything Philly sports related? The draft tomorrow night, baby. Yeah. I don't have anything to say about it. I don't know anything. Uh, Me neither. I I know nothing about the Eagles draft. Well, I don't even know. What are they, like 21st or something? No clue. I got nothing. Are we going to talk about Tom and Gronk? How about that, huh? I hope this endeavor is a miserable failure. Yeah, we know. Endeavor? You mean like the orchestration of Brady and Gronk going down there? Yeah, like Gronk and Brady. I hope they just get demolished next year. Like Gronk was retired, dude. It's over. Your career's over, dude. Don't. He's like 30. 
He's he's oh. done, dude. He's done. Okay. And he's an idiot because he's he's so beat up physically. It's time to call it. And he just he can't stay away from the game. So he's gonna it's gonna lead to like permanent damage physically for this guy. Just a bad decision. Okay. So we have nothing about the, the draft. I mean, there's nothing else going on. We can probably just skip Philly sports. Skip Philly sports. So we'll go right to oil. Ooh, I guess so. Yeah. Oil. What's going on with oil? Mike, how about you take this one? <laughs> Mike, did you hear oil has gone negative? It's actually not true. Oil has not gone negative. The, the, the specific futures contract that expired yesterday for delivery in a specific spot in the, in the U.S. went negative. What the hell does that mean? There isn't really a price for oil. The price is expressed based on futures contracts. That's how all commodities work. And there's always a delivery, a physical delivery point. Eight. Problem is, since there's enormous supply of oil sitting around right now, floating on the oceans and wherever it is, people couldn't get stuck having to get forced to take delivery of it. So the price plunges more of a financial it's almost like a phenomenon of the way futures markets work. Um, Cause the real price of oil is like 20 or $30 a barrel. It's not negative anything kind of because of the expiry of the contract and um, people got left sort of holding the bag. So the headlines were kind of stupid because everyone, making jokes about, oh, I went to the gas station to fill up and I demanded to get paid for it. It's <laughs> not how it works. Did you actually talk to someone who said that to you? I read, I read something like that. And Okay. Why does it affect the stock market like it did yesterday? Is that just headlines and people reacting to something they don't know enough about? I don't think that the stock market was directly necessarily reacting to the oil situation. And, and the oil situation is specific to the expiration of that contract, which, you know, there's two, the way there's, there's refiners and producers who actually take delivery of oil and then they hedge the price by, you know, transacting in the futures market. And then there's speculators and those speculators were like about to get left holding the bag where they were going to be forced to take delivery of oil unless they closed out the contract. And it turned out to be at like catastrophic losses for some but really the brokerage firms are on the hook, like interactive brokers and those firms that would never in their wildest dreams think that they would have to have a negative, like anything less than zero for any asset. And, and that's what happened. So I think they're, you're going to hear some wild stories about people that were wiped out, but it's really less of a story than it seemed like, I think, because like the May, um, the, the May contract is at 20 something and the June, like it, it's, and the, the way that oil market works, it's all just sort of price discovery, the, the, the mechanism for price discovery for what expectations are for the demand and the supply of oil in the future. Um, just so happened that right now there's no demand and tons of supply. And that might happen again next month. It could, you know, unless things change quickly, I think you're going to have the same dynamic. 
but it's a non-story. It, it's less, it's less of a, it's more of a headline than anything real. It's crazy though. There's like just tankers floating on the oceans outside of various countries full of oil that have nothing to do with it. No, you know, nowhere to put it, use it in the, in the next month or whatever. It's crazy. I mean, I didn't realize how often and how much we use oil, but I think of when you think about it, I mean, I think I put gas in my car three weeks ago and haven't filled up again. So I think I knew about 10% of the futures markets in commodities when I studied for the series seven. So I'm a little, little slow on it. Give me the, give me how this works. So there's, like there's people, like you just said, there's refineries, there's producers that actually do buy the oil and, and transact delivery and execution and receipt of barrels of oil. But there's a whole market that just speculates back and forth. Is it almost like day trading on the commodity price? Yeah, I mean, there's the speculators are in there using the futures markets as a way to bet on or against the price of oil in the future. And there's the actual people that transact in the commodity, underlying commodity, whether it's oil or corn or cattle or whatever, that need to hedge themselves for, for the future, hedge themselves against the price increasing or decreasing. So it's like a, it's like the, it's like, a, it's not that different than the stock market. I mean, you have people that are day trading for, or, or, or algorithmic traders that are, that only care about the next 30 seconds of price movement. And then you have people that are investing for long periods of time. You have all those participants together and the financial speculative crowd here are the ones that kind of were like, Oh, I, uh, I can't take delivery of oil here. I have to get out of this. Con-. So the selling pressure was enormous. Um, you needed to pay people to actually take delivery of oil. It's, it's insane. Um, but by the way, Jeff, futures were not on the Series 7 because they're not securities. They are commodities, and there was nothing about futures markets on the Series 7 exam. Really? Yeah. When I, did I learn about it? You were the most recent one to take it, right? Because you had to retake it? <laughs> I'm the, probably the only one in history that got it twice. Um, I had to retake it because I of it expired because I wasn't using it for a while. And they made me retake it. Where did where did I learn about commodities then? I mean, it might have been in like a finance class in college. No, he was a marketing major. Uh. <laughs> no, no, no finance. Econ one hundred and one. I don't think it was there. I think I think gold is maybe the only commodity that actually works where there's physical bars in a vault that are the the actual thing that gets delivered against the contract. Um, in in an in a, like an understandable way, but like think about corn and oil and stuff like that. That's really really hard and expensive to store. There's there's it's it's definitely less tangible and it's more of just a financial instrument that determines the price of it. And that's what market participants use, and, it, and it's worked forever, kind of till now. <laughs> <laughs> So the speculation and the futures contracts are all based upon a certain date, right? A certain date and a location and parameters around what the physical delivery is. Like, so there's like West Texas Intermediate, 
and then there's Brent crude. Like there's different types of oil futures and the West Texas intermediates, what's been in the news, even though that's not like the most common measure internationally. Brent crude is the most um, common one. The WTI made the news because it's like Cushing, Oklahoma is like the facility where you would have it delivered if you were to take delivery of it. And it would have been ruinous for anyone to take delivery of it because they have to pay for it. Yeah. Like pay someone to take it off their hands. And there was no, no, no um, ability to even store it. It probably is going to continue. Like, I don't think, you know, a month from now, probably have the same phenomenon. Do you think that that's going to lead to gas prices continuing to drop? No, because gas prices don't reflect, they, they always reflect the price of oil increasing pretty nicely but gas hey remember gas there's a lot of taxes in there there's other things besides just pure oil so gas will not will not the price of gas the pump won't decline quickly alongside oil it, it will eventually get go lower probably but it, it's not going to be like why isn't gas free there's a lot of taxes in it stick let's stick on on this for one second because i have a, a question for both of you and maybe you can help me understand the price of gas per gallon got up to like, I don't know, man, like four, five, six bucks a, sh- uh, a gallon a few years ago. I remember they were like literally cutting you off at the pump. Like you'd get to like $75 and you were done. You couldn't pump any more gas. Is that just not a good measure of inflation? Like when I think about when I paid a toll to go over the Walt Whitman when I was a kid, it was I threw a quarter in. Now it's like five bucks or whatever it is. I mean, that's real inflation. You can feel that. I don't feel like the price of gas has really skyrocketed like other costs of goods and services. Is that an accurate statement? Or, I mean, it did, but then it came back down. Or am I, am I missing something? Isn't there like international, rela- like beyond the, the financial and commodity piece of it? I mean, our relationship with these foreign countries, um, Middle East, Saudi Arabia, and that, that effect our ability to supply it. I mean, isn't that part of like, isn't that a factor too? Yeah, I, I def it, it definitely is. I mean, there's a huge supply piece of it where, where the, it's not United cells. States. There's, there's an ability to artificially control supply that add, that goes into it. Um, I think I'm not positive. I think gas prices, gasoline may, may be part of what goes into the CPI. Like, calculation but it's definitely not like shouldn't be thought to be representative of whether there's like inflation or not because there's because it's a really really complicated and unique commodity i think because of the supply issues and the political the geopolitical stuff but i think it does reflect you know futures prices uh of oil kind of does sort of reflect like what the overall aggregate market thinks future demand will be, you know, it kind of is a, an indicator of what the market expects of economic growth. That's why right now, like the, the later summer months, the price of oil is like, you know, I don't know what it is, $25, $35 a barrel. It's way down from what it just was. And that's right. That's accurate because demand will definitely be lower in August than we thought it was going to be just two months ago. Right. So there you go. Let's move on from oil. I'm fascinated by it. Are you? 
Not really. Not really. All right. Who pays for this? Morgan Housel, who writes for the Collaborative Fund. Uh, the federal deficit is something people love to talk about, but at the levels in trillions of dollars, it's nearly impossible to imagine ever being paid off. Morgan writes that should not be the expectation. Comparing our COVID world to World War II times, Morgan uses history to illustrate that as long as nominal GDP growth is higher than the annual budget deficit, debt to G GDP goes down and spending more than you take in leaves you with a lower debt burden. So I guess he attempted to just put into context this recent stimulus package, the newer one that's being drawn up and um, trying to answer a lot of the questions that people have about like, how does that ever go away? Are we saddling, you know, next generation and generation and generation after that with an insurmountable amount of debt? I think um, Housel <laughs> does a good job all the time. So he loves to just like draw comparisons to what happened in history, pulling out tangible, you know, things that people were saying at the time and all that kind of stuff. Um, and this is no different, specifically World War II, the amount of debt that was incurred to finance all that. And people were saying the same things then. Like, this is like, these numbers are like just staggering. Can't even get your head around them. And future generations are screwed. And same thing. Uh, and his point, first of all, the caveat being, we don't know for sure if this time is going to be different, but it's, it's not, there's not a due date. So as long as you can continue to grow and serve the debt, like make, like make the payments, like, don't worry about it. I'm not, not don't worry about it, but it's not like a mortgage payment or, you know, a, a huge credit card bill that has a due date that if you can't make it, you're like dealing with bankruptcy, like, and over long periods of time, as long as you have growth prosperity and you can handle the service of the debt, it doesn't matter. And, and one of the th charts I saw was, the amount of money in circulation since the um, the 08, 09 debacle has more than doubled. Where's inflation been? Everyone was yelling about inflation and the same thing back then when there was a huge stimul stimulus package um, put in place to deal with that. And it hasn't happened because we've grown, because the economy has grown and, and interest rates have come down and the cost to, to serve that debt has, has been somewhat manageable. So... I think it's a good, I liked it because it kind of reminds you that this isn't like most people think about debt. This is something that's always going to be there. It ebbs and flows and you, it doesn't have to destroy your country or your economy to have a big deficit or, or record levels of debt or whatever you want to call it. So that, that's my take on it. Yeah. I thought I found that point very interesting how, there is no due date, right? Countries don't have lifespans. Like people have lifespans. You buy a car, you buy a house, you have credit card debt. It's due at a certain time and you're going to die at some point and that debt needs to be paid. Countries don't die. So who gives a shit how much debt there is? I mean, really, who gives a shit? I didn't, Meg, I'm, I appreciate you in your summary, the, 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 the one paragraph that you read because i was confused by it i wasn't confused by the majority of it as long as nominal gdp growth is higher than the annual budget deficit deficit debt to gdp goes down that makes sense to me but then the last 
part of that paragraph was, and spending more than you take in. So spending more than you take in leaves you with a lower debt burden. Is that a typo? Like if you spend more than you bring in, then you're increasing your deficit. I interpret it as the country like growing more in spending and stimulating the economy. Gotcha. And then gotcha. like taking in, meaning taking on more debt. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. He, thank you for clarifying, clarifying. Um, he, when he made the analogy to the national debt is not like, like most people think of it like their own household. Like I have expenses, I have income, and then I can create debt. It doesn't work that way uh, because of obviously the, the end date and not having one. So who, who really cares? Yeah, you're not going to burden. We've, you're not going to burden your grandkids with it. We're, we're bur- we were burdened with it. How come we didn't fall apart? The only thing I think that, um, and, and drawing the analogy back to the post-World War II, is taxes were insanely high. And that might be something we'll need to like prepare for, <laughs> get their head around. This is a, this is unprecedented, you know, deficit creating and stuff like that. And I think, you know, it's almost like, and, and it was told, it was sold to the public by the politicians as, Hey, taxes are sky high for a period of time. And, and that was part of what everyone had to do to pitch into clean it up in a sense so we'll, we'll see i don't know if this is a different i shouldn't say i don't know it's definitely a different um regime and and psychology and all that with respect to that stuff but yeah and and even just like eliminating the last three months i think there's always been this talk about the federal deficit in a way that i feel like morgan just put in context and what we're dealing with now is likely very, very different than anything we've ever seen. But um, just understanding that there isn't a due date, it's not like the the consumer debt that we're all servicing ourselves. I, I just, it's trillions of dollars. Like it's a number that I don't even know how many zeros there are. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. so that to me was what I liked most about this article. Like it was, it was, uh, it was helpful for me at least to understand. Well, it's, it, I liked it because it, it put me more at ease with it. Like you said, Meg, like it helped me understand it because I know people and I'm friends with people that this is like a major, a major issue for them. Like they really like freak out when you start talking about the national deficit and it's like they lose their minds and it's like, what, what the hell are you going to do about it? What can, there's nothing we can do about it. Go live somewhere else. Go live somewhere else, man. Don't live here. It's so bad. But you can't go to Canada. The border's closed right now. Yeah, you actually can't move anywhere. <laughs> Suck. You can get there. Oh. Are <laughs> <laughs> we ready to talk about Scooby-Doo? I can't wait. I'm waiting for this, man. The Secret of Scooby-Doo's Enduring Appeal was written by Christopher Orr from the Atlantic. And this man got paid to write this article. (laughs) Um, He uses this to talk about Scooby-Doo's ability to stick around, which again, until this point, never thought about. 
But since premiering for the first time in 1969, Scooby-Doo has over the years been the subject of at least 19 TV series, more than 40 animated films, and two live action movies. Everyone knows the name, the premise, and the characters, um, many of which, as Chris described, became archetypes for other shows and movies that follow. Scooby-Doo is like a pretty impactful show, legacy. Apparently. And I read the article, and then after I read it, I, too, was upset that I couldn't get those five minutes back. Yeah. <laughs> um, I... Yeah. I have seen Scoot. Now, listen, Jeff, Jeff, you suggested the Scooby-Doo article and it makes sense because you've talked a lot about your cartoon watching uh, mm -hmm. childhood. Yep. And I watched a ton of cartoons and I've watched Scooby-Doo. If I missed Scooby-Doo, I didn't think twice about it. So Scooby-Doo to me didn't mean anything. I didn't care. Like, okay, yeah, 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 whatever. Now the article dissects it and makes it like this iconic clever casting of of you know the fred and uh Daphne, velma i don't even know their names and then of course like the why it resonates with americana because it's this uh you know it mystifies the things that go bump in the night because there's always like a solution at the end and it's uh you know it wasn't this paranormal uh whatever it was a it was just the old you know scientist who was had a kooky scheme it's really kind of a dumb premise <laughs> for a movie or a cartoon or an article and uh, jeff i'm gonna leave this off to you because i i've never watched one of the scooby-doo spin-off movies and uh, zach efron apparently is like working on like another one uh, you can have scooby before Jeff goes, I just want to say that is my all-time favorite Mike rant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wish we had better audio for it. Like, of all the rants that we've all had <laughs> on this medium, that is it. I'm going to figure out a way to make sure everybody hears every word of that. What? What's your beef with Scooby-Doo? I guess I don't have a huge beef with it but i when i read an article about how timeless how like important it, it is for the creators are just geniuses like what it's scooby-doo come on man yeah but it was i mean it's hard to last that long and they're still going and they're still making money and they're still creating new projects and all of these other shows that have followed have kind of followed suit with the recipe that they created. I was blown away by it. Like I was blown away that that cartoon, which I watched, I mean, I wasn't a huge, huge fan when I was a kid. And I, I like you, I haven't watched any of the spinoffs could care less. Obviously once I was above the age of nine, I stopped watching Scooby-Doo, but blown away. Like if you, if you had said to me, Scooby-Doo, the animated series has outlasted the Flintstones. I wouldn't have believed it. Like the Flintstones was a classic. But th isn't isn't this isn't the fact that Scooby Doo is still going, and there's spinoffs and there's movies, isn't that just yet another example of how uncreative Hollywood really is? 
because it's nothing more than sequels and remakes and not a lot of original stuff coming out. And they're just going back to the well with the same old stuff and redoing it. That's my take. Look, if it works and it appeals to people, like little kids today aren't going to watch the real old school Scooby-Doo. They need better graphics. They need they need better um, videography. So they have to create new ones so that these kids will watch it. I mean, the ones now are like 3D animated. It's not old school cartoons. So that's why they do it. But look, it's better than The freaking Bachelor. I'd rather watch Scooby-Doo than The Bachelor. I mean, you want to talk about bad TV – and like the fact that this country is just obsessed with stupid reality TV shows, like you got to be kidding me. That's why this has lasted so long because it has some kind of grab to it. Like kids like the fact that, like you said, which you don't like, Mike, because nothing scares you. That yeah, like kids get afraid of something, and then they. You know, at the end of the show, there's a solution. They find out who it is. It, there's a there's um there's closure. There's people that everyone can can relate to. The guy with the ascot who's gay. The other girl that's kind of gay, maybe bisexual. The hot chick, the the stoner. I mean, they have everybody. It's awesome. I think that's my beef with it. Like, it's not that deep. It's not deep enough to like to give it that much credit. It's people like you who feel nostalgia and then who want to enjoy that with their kids. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I truly don't, but let's not make it this like life changing generation changing thing. It's not. So name me a cartoon that kids are watching today. That is more creative. than that. Simpsons. The Simpsons has been around for 30 years, dude. I mean, today, like something that's been created, like, for art for your kids. And the Simpsons is the Simpsons is not created for, for children. It's created for adults. How do we not know that there's not gonna be something like Scooby Doo in nobody was watching Scooby Doo in nineteen seventy and thought, oh shit, this is still gonna be around in twenty twenty. That was not the plan. Look, I got little kids. They watch cartoons, they're awful. They're not gonna be around thirty years from now. Except the fact that Hannah and Barbara, whatever the hell their names are had a great concept in it and it and it's stuck and look they're still making movies based upon it that's crazy like it sounds like you're agreeing with the author in a way and that the formula of scooby-doo meaning the characters and like who they were how they operated was key to having it continue to be something that someone would make a movie about and people would go watch yep right. 100 percent agree with them me and chris or same page <laughs> Okay. Dude, my, we literally have a box of Scooby snacks in our pantry right now. They made food from it. It's crazy. The, the, the show has staying power, and I think that that was amazing to me. I, I didn't think it had that much grab and appeal and staying power to it. And when I started reading it and thinking more about it, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, I mean, it's still around. And it really hasn't changed that much. Like, what's the stoner guy's name? Shaggy. Shaggy. Like, it's he's still shaggy. Like, Scooby's the same dumb dog. Like, that they made, like, crackers out of it. It's crazy to me. It's crazy. Do you think weed dispensaries have, like, a strain called Scooby Snacks? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
the tackles sure. of the Scooby-Doo genre is just so far reaching. Did you say tentacles? Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're done on, guys, on that note. You just don't you don't appreciate good animation. That was sure. a good debate. Yeah, I liked it. All right, the last dance. Dude. Okay, so Jeff, you watched, right? Yeah. What's your take? So here's a little background for me, for you guys, on me. I was a huge Jordan fan. Absolutely enormous Jordan fan. Every space on my wall as a kid had a Jordan poster on it. I had owned maybe four documentaries on Jordan that I just watched over and over again. My father would take me to the Bulls Sixers game whenever the Bulls were in town. I loved Spike Lee. I mean, I loved everything about the Jordan brand, um, the clothes, Gatorade. I mean, I loved everything about them, dude. And what's interesting, though, is I always – I never had a Jordan jersey. I had a Scottie Pippen jersey because I, I I did appreciate that no one appreciated Scottie Pippen and everyone had a Jordan jersey. So I'm like, dude, I'm not wearing a Jordan jersey. I'm going to get a Pippen jersey. Um, it cemented the first two episodes for me, cemented for me, and I'm actually going to get Meg's take on this, that he's to go. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. I mean, if if I was on a playground and I had to pick Michael Jordan or LeBron James, cause I would, I would say they're the two best of all time. I would pick Jordan because it became so clear in those first two episodes. He will cut your heart out, dude. And I'm not saying LeBron won't, but Jordan will cut your heart out, dude. And that was like, I knew that about him, but it was really cool to see um, who's the UNC assistant coach at the time. Roy Williams. Roy Williams, like when, when he said to Jordan or Jordan said to him, look, I want to be the best basketball player of all time. He's like, well, you got to go work hard. And he goes, look, I work as hard as all these guys in this gym. He goes, well, you need to work harder than all of them. And he was like, I'm going to show you I'll work harder than anyone on this planet. Like it was just, dude, that was just, it was awesome. Yeah. Um, before we Meg, I, I too am loving to hear Meg's take on this, but I, a couple of observations I made from the first two episodes. Um, number one, holy shit. How awesome was it that the Bulls allowed a film crew to come in and do what they did for an entire season? And, and you know, now we have this gold in terms of footage. That That's just awesome. Um, so forward thinking, man. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Second thing, and Jeff, I agree with everything you just said about the goat goat stuff. Like, and 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 just watching and rewatching the what 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 went on that decade in the in the NBA. Here's the here's the thing. High school, like, it's very famously well known that Jordan got cut from his high school varsity team. I think as a sophomore, maybe and maybe junior, because he grew five inches over the summer. But he was 5'10", 5'11", as a sophomore. People tell that story, and they're like, oh, see, see, son, don't get down. Michael Jordan (laughs) got cut from his high school team and all this. My take on that is, what kind of an idiot has that high school coach got to be to not 
see that even though the guy's 5'11", he's a supremely talented basketball player in Wilmington, North Carolina. How do you not have a future NBA player on your varsity team? I don't care that he wasn't six foot five yet. Does anybody like wonder like how you could miss just raw talent? Because the raw talent's obviously always been there. Now, granted, it accelerated big time when he got into college and then pros. I got it. But you're going to tell me he was that bad of a basketball player as a sophomore to not make varsity? Dude, there's something missing. And I've called bullshit on that story forever because, like, you don't get cut as a sophomore and then go to UNC as one of the most highly touted recruits in the country two years later. Like, it doesn't happen. And I don't care what happened, but it's never made sense to me. Every time someone's used that antidote, I'm like, that's bullshit. He was, he hit somebody, he got in a fight, he broke a rule. Like, which is all fine. He would have been a 15-year-old kid. Like, no one would be mad at him for that. But let's not act like this was a talent thing because there's no way it was a talent thing. Jordan's dad probably hooked up with the coach's wife or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Bulls GM, the little guy. Kraus. Holy shit, what a loser. I never liked him, ever. And I forgot about that. He's dead, though. He is? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, he comes off badly, at least so far. I mean, just in his, in all of it. I mean, I'll leave it at that. And then Scotty freaking Pippen. Oh, my God. Like, we all knew how good he was, but maybe not how important he was. Like, he, like, just his basketball sense and how he made that team succeed or fail. Like, oh, my God. I can't wait to watch. I'm, I'm like dying for the episodes to drop. What is so? It's one and two are out, and then every Sunday a new one comes out. Every Sunday, two new ones. So it's okay. ten total episodes, five weeks. So you guys know that LeBron's mine, and this has actually been really fun to watch because my I don't have a memory of what, I mean, I wasn't alive the early part of the bulls. So for me, it's really cool to go back and get this kind of view of it. Um, obviously like Michael is Michael. Like I haven't changed my mind and I don't anticipate changing my mind. Um, but it's been very, very, <laughs> um, fun for me to watch. I struggle dude with like watching him, you know, like, go off for 48 against the Celtics and 49, whatever that line was, those first two games of that playoff series where they were the eight seed, like they lost both of those games, lost that series. He's the player of the game. If that happened to LeBron now, all people would be doing is talking about how LeBron's not good enough. He didn't play to the level he should have. And Jordan lost those games and was named player of the game. Like, I just, there's there's differences that I see. And obviously, I'm coming from a biased <laughs> perspective, but the, the, the community around the game has changed in a good way, I think. I think a lot more people are fans, and I think um, there are more recent players, Kobe being one of them, LeBron being one of them, who are responsible for elevating the NBA in a way that Jordan started, and he gets all of that credit. But I'm definitely not at a point where I'm changing 
my goat. <laughs> uh, but it's been, I mean, it's awesome. I can't wait. I agree with you, Mike. Like I can't wait for the rest of it. And I don't lack appreciation for Jordan because without Jordan, LeBron's not LeBron, but I'm not, I'm not ready to, to change. I think that um, it underscores for me, like the commonality for any of the greatest of all times in any sport or anything they do is like three things. You have to have innate ability. You have to have that God-given ability, athletic or whatever it is. Then you have this work ethic that's off the charts. And then you have to have this competitive streak that's unmatched. You know, and if you combine all those things, you get the Jordans, you get the, you know, the, you name it. Brady, I mean, Brady. And he's, yeah, yeah. Brady, Brady's got all that, man. He's got all of that. Um, what the hell was I going to say? Uh, Meg, you, what, 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 what's happening, the issue with LeBron, what you're commenting on is he's a product, unfortunately, of being an athlete in the social media world. Because that same kind of stuff probably would have happened to Jordan, but it just wasn't the ability wasn't there for haters to come out because he had haters everywhere, just like everybody has haters. Sure. Haters have a voice now. And it's unfortunate for LeBron. I don't take I don't that doesn't take away my respect for LeBron's ability to play basketball. Um, I, I kind of and you guys know this, I kind of lost respect for LeBron when he held his press conference saying he's going to Miami, like a Jordan would never do that. But then again, Jordan didn't have social media because maybe, maybe he would have, maybe he would have done some theatrics like that. Um, and that's just me being an old white dude. Um, but, but I think what, it, what, it, what it still comes down to, to me is if I'm picking teams and it's Jordan or LeBron, I mean, I, I don't know how you could take LeBron over Jordan, man. If we're playing in 2020, maybe not 2020 for playing in 2015. Sure. LeBron every time. If we're playing in 1997, sure. I'll, I'll take Jordan. It's a different what, game. It's a different. Is, is, are you, are you going to throw this argument to me that Jordan like played against bird and Johnson when they were at the end of their rope, like the end of their prime? No. Because you, I've, I've heard that argument from you before that like Jordan didn't play against hard competition. Like, like LeBron does. I don't think I've ever said that. Okay. That Celtics team that he dropped 50 on was like, yeah, they were an awesome, one of the best teams ever assembled. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not disagreeing with that. I don't think it's, I, I don't know that when I say it's a different league now, it's a different, like I saw this really cool graphic that showed the shot chart of Jordan for, I don't know if it was like 95 through 97, whatever it was, all he shoots is mid range jumpers. And you watched those clips from that Celtic series specifically, everything is inside the paint, right? Like Jordan's game is designed to thrive in a situation where he can beat someone off the dribble, rise up and make a, you know, a 15 foot jumper. That's not today's NBA. And I, right. I'm not saying one's better or worse, but the games are higher scoring now. It is a running gun. There's no traditional big man bully ball center, except for our Sixers. But, like, it's 
it's the it's the evolution of the game and I don't I don't know how to say one's better, worse, or harder or easier, but like right now in today's NBA, yeah, I take LeBron every time. He's been the best player in the league for like I don't know, how old like twelve years? Like that's insane. I remember as a kid reading Sports Illustrated articles like is Jordan ever going to win a championship because there were so many years where they didn't have the team around them and I was like dude like here's my favorite player I'm like dude I don't know if he's ever going to win and then he goes and he wins like six dude it was crazy it was crazy and it was really cool to see D Wade um I don't know if you guys saw it I don't know if I guess yeah. it was where he was like Look, the reason I picked up a basketball was because of Michael Jordan. Like, that's crazy. Like, Dwayne Wade's one of the best players. He's your favorite player. What's that? He's your favorite player's favorite player. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, well, one thing, look, you know, you can get, in every sport, you can sit there and go, okay, well, what about this player from that era? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can't, you just can't compare eras. You just have to look at who was there at the time and how good they were in their peer group. And that's all this is, I think. I mean, it's, I don't think, I don't look at this saying, oh, look, Bradley Jordan's the greatest that ever played. Cause the, the player that will come along and will be, and will make LeBron look like, you know, yeah, pedestrian. I but can't it, wait till, till Meg has to defend <laughs> LeBron against like the next LeBron. But like, I guess I like to think that like this is, this is what I get. I get mine. Jordan has his, and I hope there's somebody else as a basketball fan. Like that's what I want. I'm not, I'm not here to like make people who think Jordan's better feel wrong about it because first of all, I don't give a shit. Like whoever you think is the greatest of all time does not matter to me. Um, which is probably why this has been like such a fun and I'm so excited to see what else is next because I didn't get to appreciate this as a basketball fan. And I get to now. LeBron, I've been watching for years. He's the reason I'm an NBA fan. So a lot of it is just like my appreciation for the game and him just being the most like, you know, important part of it. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Top five. Yeah. Worst animals. Top five worst animals. This does not include insects, correct? No, mm. I, I might have some insects on my list. I wasn't okay. getting super particular about like yeah. species. Okay. Okay. Who wants to go first? I'll go. I'd say five is the ostrich. <laughs> like I just, I look at an ostrich and I'm like, what the hell is that thing, dude? Like, what is it? But like, how how do they affect your life at all? They're, just, they're, they're stupid. They're just stupid animals. So ostrich is my number five. Anteater is my number four. It's the ugliest looking thing. It literally has this long skinny nose and it eats ants out of like anthills. It's stupid. Um, three for me is um, horseshoe crabs. Those things on the beach, they're just nasty, man. And they got that little, like, stinger thing coming out of them. They're gross. 
Seagulls are number two. I mean, they're useless. Little bastards will take a sandwich right out of your hand. And then uh, my number one most hated animal is a jellyfish, dude. They are. I cannot stand jellyfish. Cannot stand them. Useless. They ruin the whole ocean experience. Yeah, I thought about jellyfish. Didn't make my list. None of those made my list. Good, no overlap. One of Jeff's made mine, so I'll I'll, I'll go here. Um, seagulls were on my list. Same reason. I yeah, they're dirty, disgusting, and annoying. Um, I've got I've got a rat. I got a rat on there, Jeff. I'm, I'm a little surprised. Yeah, surprised. But rats are you know they're they're you, you they need, carry disease. You, yeah, you can't defend a rat in any way. Um. I've got a rhinoceros on my list. Love a rhinoceros. Why? They have horns. They are. They eat only plants, as far as I know. What are they going to do? Gore like a fern to death? What is the point of having a horn if you're not going to use it to, like, you know, eat? Defense against. I don't think. Rhin- I don't think people eat eating rhinoceros. rhinoceroses. You had you had rhino meat ever? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, rhino it? burgers. Yeah, rhino burgers, man. You're lying. Right. I'm I'm not a fan of rhinos, and I think I from what I hear they're really mean too. Um, and then my second one is a tick. Oh, eight ticks. They carry disease, you know, Lyme disease. Uh, pain has to get off when 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 one's on you. They just like clamp on and suck your blood. And then number one for me is the common fly. I hate flies more than any other animal that there is. I hate them. They're disgusting, they're dirty. And when I have a fly in my house, I go, I, I will not stop until it's dead. <laughs> it's game on. That's my list. I do appreciate that a fly isn't terribly difficult to kill and catch. True. So I appreciate that about them. Okay, so unlike both of you, all of mine are animals in which I've interacted because I don't know how you can hate a rhinoceros or an ostrich and you've never even like been near one. I've been to the They're zoo. not hurting anybody. I've been to the zoo. Ostriches are pains in the ass, man. No one likes them. They're th- they're in cages by themselves because no one no other animal wants to hang out with them. Yeah, it's like, you know, you meet somebody and you're like, yeah, I, I don't like that guy. It's, it's when like, did you meet a rhinoceros? <laughs> I've seen him at a zoo. Okay, well, we'll let those slide, but they're the dumbest answers that you could have had. Um, all right, so I have geese. We have a lot of geese around here, and they are just slow. They're in the way, and then they run after you, and they poop everywhere. They shit all over the place. Poop everywhere. Yeah, it's a good call. That's a good one. I also have rats. Mm. Um, I also have bats. I don't hate bats. And they eat, they eat mosquitoes. I mean, that's that's a that's a good animal to have flying around your yard. Okay, so then you guys said seagulls. I think I just I'm putting flying birds generally, like all of them. I mean, there's seagulls, there's pigeons, like hummingbirds. Yeah, 
I mean, okay, I kind of have this phobia of like a bird flying into a house and then it being in the room with you and then it just not knowing what to do and you not knowing what to do. The bird freaks out, the person freaks out. Yeah, that's happened to me actually. Really? Yeah, we've had flying birds in the house banging their heads against the ceiling, blood all over the ceiling because they can't get out. Yeah, it was it was a mess. It was a mess. It was not delightful. Yeah, okay, so I'm... I think it was a finch, maybe. A finch. Um, and then my last one is mosquitoes. Like, oh, good call. What about like greenhead, the ones on the beach? I thought oh, about that. Cool. Yeah, they're another good one. But mosquitoes is just applicable everywhere. I try to stay away from insects in general with this top five because I thought we were going animals and I think insects are a different category, but no, that was good. Good, good call there. Mosquitoes. You'll just do ostriches. Yeah. Makes sense. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Bye guys. See ya. Signing out. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, just want to take a couple of minutes and remind you that if you have any interest in learning more about us, uh, Jeff, Mike and I are three of a seven-person team uh, operating a financial planning firm in Westchester, Pennsylvania. The Financial Coach Group is a retirement-focused firm, um, and we serve clients who are either approaching or already retired. Um, our comprehensive process it was developed to address the myriad of issues specific to that demographic. The New Wealth Project is also a comprehensive uh, planning offering that is focused on a younger demographic, uh, young families, young business owners, um, emerging community and, and professional leaders uh, who have a also unique but different set of issues and concerns. So if you're interested in learning more about either one of um, our offerings, I would encourage you to visit our websites, www.financialcoachgroup.com or www.thenewwealthproject.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.